Good morning, welcome. We're going to make a start to come and have a seat um, in the church. And if you're at home, a very warm welcome to you. My name is Andy. I'm the senior pastor of this church here at Christ Church All Saints Wandsworth. And it's my privilege to be leading our time together as we worship God this morning. Whether you're in the building or at home watching online, you're very welcome. And we pray that our service would be a great encouragement and a blessing to you. As we begin, I'm going to lead us um, in a prayer. It's a prayer of David. Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our gods, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. Let's pray together. Father, we give you thanks this morning for uh, life and breath and everything else. We thank you for this opportunity to meet together in person and to watch also from home. We give you praise this morning. We pray you would encourage us and strengthen us in our faith as we live for you. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we begin, our musicians are going to lead our first song. All creatures of our God and King, lift up your voice and with us sing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
tender heart forgiving others take your part oh sing ye hallelujah ye who long pain and sorrow bear praise God and on him cast your Praise the Father, praise the Son, and praise the Spirit, three in one. That is what God made us to do, to praise him, to live our lives for him, and yet, if we're honest, we know that we don't do that. Too often we praise created things, we live for ourselves instead of our creator. And so when we meet together, it's right to confess our sins to God, to say sorry to God. We're going to do that in the words of the confession, which you can see on your service sheet or on the screen behind me. Let's have a moment of quiet before we pray these words together. We pray together. Most merciful God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we confess that we have sinned in thought, word, and deed. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. In your mercy, forgive what we have been. Help us to amend what we are and direct what we shall be, that we may do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with you, our God. Amen. Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And so we're going to pray uh, the prayer of general thanksgiving. Again, you can see that on your service sheet. It might feel at the moment as if there's a lot in life that we don't really, uh, that we're not able to give thanks to God for. And yet, in Christ, we have the most amazing thing to thank God for. We can thank him for our forgiveness as we read in that famous verse. And so we're going to pray this prayer together, um, the prayer of thanksgiving. So do pray with me. Almighty God, Father of all mercies, we, your unworthy servants, give you humble thanks 
for all your goodness and loving kindness to us and to all people. We bless you for our creation, preservation, and all the blessings of this life, but above all, for your immeasurable love in the redemption of the world by our Lord Jesus Christ, for the means of grace and for the hope of glory. And we pray, give us such an awareness of your mercies that with truly thankful hearts, we may show forth your praise, not only with our lips, but in our lives, by giving up ourselves to your service and by walking before you in holiness and righteousness all our days, through Jesus Christ our Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be honour and glory throughout all ages. Amen. I'm going to invite Ali Gordon up to lead us in our notices and in a psalm as well. Just a few notices which you'll see on your order of service. Um, if you don't have that at home, then um, our, homes, our home groups continue this week with uh, the study in 1 Thessalonians 5. Uh, next Sunday, our sermon is Isaiah chapter 42. So if you want to get a heads up, you can read that ahead of next week. And of course, our one-to-one -one course continues this week as well. That's at 8 o'clock, um, and you can catch that on Zoom. And likewise, our course for new parents continues on Thursday night at 8 o'clock. And I'm sure all the details for those things will be on the website. As we can't sing in the building, we can, however, lift our voices by reading a psalm. So we're going to read Psalm 103 together. And uh, do join me in reading that if you're able to do so. So Psalm 103. <clears throat> Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse nor will he harbor his, his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the fields. The wind blows over it and it is gone. And in its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him, 
and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. And now we'll have our Bible reading, which is from Isaiah 41, and Bethany is going to read that for us. Isaiah 41, verse 21. Present your case, says the Lord. Set forth your arguments, says Jacob's king. Tell us, you idols, what is going to happen. Tell us what the former things were, so that we may consider them and know their final outcome. Or declare to us the things to come. Tell us what the future holds, so that we may know you are gods. Do something, whether good or bad, so that we will be dismayed and filled with fear. But you are less than nothing, and your works are utterly worthless. Whoever chooses you is detestable. I have stirred up one from the north, and he comes, one from the rising sun who calls on my name. He treads on rulers as if they were mortar, as if he were a potter treading on the clay. Who told this from the beginning so that we could know? Or beforehand so that we could say, he was right? No one told of this. No one foretold it. No one heard any words from you. I was the first to tell Zion, look, here they are. I gave to Jerusalem a messenger of good news. I look, but there is no one, no one among the gods to give counsel, no one to give answer when I ask them. See, they are all false. They, their deeds amount to nothing. Their images are but wind and confusion. Here is my servant whom I, whom I uphold, my chosen one whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching, the islands will, be, will put their hope. This is what God the Lord says, the creator of the heavens, who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place. A new thing I declare. Before the spring into being, I announce them to you. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise from the ends of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that is in it, you islands, all who live in them. Let the wilderness and the towns raise their voices. 
Let the settlements where Kedar lives rejoice. Let the people of Selah sing for joy. Let them shout from the mountaintops. Let them give glory to the Lord and proclaim his name, his praise in the islands. The Lord will march out like a champion, like a warrior who stirs up his zeal. With a shout, he will raise the battle cry and will triumph over his enemies. For a long time, I have kept silent. I have been quiet and held myself back. But now, like a woman in childbirth, I out, I gasp, I pant. I will lay waste in the mountains and hills and dry up all their vegetation. I will turn rivers and into islands and dry up their pools. I will lead the blind by ways they have not known. Along unfamiliar paths, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness into light before them and make rough places smooth. These are the things that I will do. I will not forsake them. But you who trust in idols, who say to images, you are gods, will be turned back in utter shame. Tim, I need to use this one. This one's run out of battery. Great, thank you. Let's, um, let's pray as we begin. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the prophet Isaiah, um, whom you spoke through all those years ago, and you continue to speak through him and by your spirit today. We pray that you would guide us and instruct us as we look at your words and you'd encourage us in our faith. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, do you ever wish you could go back to the past, to a time when things were better than they are today, to a moment of key decision when you could have taken a different route? Do you ever wish you could know the future? Do you sometimes dream about travelling there, to a time beyond the struggles and questions of the moment? Well, often in uncomfortable and unwelcome ways, the pandemic has confronted us with our incomplete knowledge of time. What exactly happened a year ago? What is happening now? What will happen in the future? But it's not just the pandemic that reminds us of our ignorance of time. We only ever live in the present. We are time-bound creatures. So how can we live in the present when we don't fully understand the past? How can we know which way to turn when we can't know the future? Well, our reading this morning has some surprising and vital answers to questions like those. Do you remember Isaiah is speaking to the people of Judah ahead of time? He's told them that soon they will be taken into exile in Babylon, where they will experience God's just punishment for their sin. But God still offers them hope. That's the message of chapter 40. And what's more, God is going to strengthen his people in the midst of their trials. We heard all about that in chapter 41. Uh, by contrast, though, the nations around them are going to turn to idols for strength. But what is the proof? Sorry, earlier on in chapter 41, we saw that that is foolish to turn to idols for strength. But what is the proof that turning to idols is foolish. Can we be sure it's worth turning to a God we can't see instead of turning towards things that we can see? Well, the people of Judah must have asked those questions, and we certainly ask them today. 
Should we trust God alone with the past, the present, and the future? Or are we better off hedging our bets? A bit of trust in God, but a bit of trust uh, in safety, science, politics. Some confidence in him, but a portion in our career, our kids, or our cash on the side. Well, in our reading today, God tells us to look in three different places to prove to us that trusting man-made gods is foolish. The past, present, and future are all under his control, and so it really is worth trusting him alone. First of all, look at the idols. They've got nothing to say. Look at the idols. They've got nothing to say. Present your case, says the Lord. Set forth your arguments, says Jacob's king. It's a court scene, the Lord is the judge, and he calls the accused to take the stand. Do the idols have any evidence to offer in their defence? Tell us, you idols, what is going to happen. Tell us what the former things were, so that we may consider them and know their final outcome. Have the the man-made gods of the nations done their history GCSEs? Do they understand where history is heading? Do they understand how one event leads on to another? Or declare to us the things to come. Tell us what the future holds, so we may know that you are gods. Can idols predict the future? Do they have any power over the world? Can they control the flow of events? Do they have anything to say in God's courtroom? Well, the answer is clear, and the imagery is almost cruel, as the judge taunts them from the, uh, in front of the public gallery. Do something whether good or bad, so that we may be dismayed and filled with fear. You can't do anything. You are embarrassing, pathetic, a waste of space. And then God points an accusing finger at the man-made gods of the world, verse 23. But you are less than nothing, and your works are utterly worthless. Whoever chooses you is detestable. The verse actually begins with the word look or behold. It's the same word as appears in verse 29. Behold, they are all false. Or chapter 42, verse 1, behold, my servant. And chapter 42, verse 9, behold, the former things have taken place. God wants us to look, to see, to contemplate the truths he's putting in front of our eyes. It's as if he's got a highlighter pen. Or a bold pen, except his pen says, Behold! Because when it comes to the past, present, and future, the idols of the world have got absolutely nothing to say. Not like the Lord, who is the Lord of history. Verse 25. I have stirred up one from the north, one from the rising sun, who calls on my name. He treads on rulers as if they were mortar, as if he were a potter treading the clay. God has raised up Cyrus, king of Persia, to be a conqueror of nations. He's going to come from the east, beyond the rising sun, but also from the north, which is the best base for attack. Nothing and no one will stand in his way. But did the gods of the world know about this ahead of time? Who told of this from the beginning so that we could know? Or beforehand, so we could say he was right. No one told of this. No one foretold it. No one heard any words from you. I was the first to tell Zion, look, here they are. 
I gave to Jerusalem a messenger of good news. I look, but there is no one, no one among the gods to give counsel, no one to give answer when I ask them. No one, no one, no one. The idols are dumbstruck, speechless, reduced to silence. God exposes their ignorance with brutal sarcasm. Why does he do that? Because he wants us to know that it's worth trusting him alone as we navigate the uncharted waters of time. He wants us to be absolutely sure that he knows everything in a way that we can't know anything. You see, when you and I think, we contemplate reality. But when God thinks, he causes reality. Someone has put it like this. God does not know all creatures because they exist. They exist because he knows them. In other words, things exist and history happens because when God thinks, God creates. I think Paul expresses the same idea in that famous passage in Acts 17 when he's preaching the gospel to the philosophers in Athens. He says, in him, that is in God's, we live and move and have our being. See, if we ask the idols of this world to guide us through the uncertainties of history, we will be sorely disappointed because they have got no power and no knowledge of their own. They might offer a brief and fleeting comfort, but in the end that we will discover to our loss that they have got nothing to say. See, behold, they are all false. Their deeds amount to nothing. Their images are but wind and confusion. If we live our lives trusting man-made gods, we will discover in the end that it is all based on a lie, empty and temporary and meaningless mess. I wonder, do we spend time looking at the idols of our age, the created things that our friends look to to guide them? In conversations with friends, do we ever look underneath the surface to see where they are going for knowledge? Do we think about what is attractive about their worldview, but also look for the holes in their arguments? Do we reflect on our own thought life? Do we watch out for those moments or seasons when we listen too much to the false claims of idols? Are we sometimes too swayed by what is attractive about them that we forget that they have no true knowledge or power of their own? Look at the idols they've got nothing to say. Well, that is the first thing God says to us to prove that he alone is worth trusting in the past and the present and the future. And here is the second thing. Look at the servant. He's the saviour of the world. Look at the servant. He's the saviour of the world. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. At the end of chapter 41, we're left asking a question. Does God care for a world drowning in the swamp of idolatry? And wonderfully, the answer is yes, because God has a servant whom he is sending to save the world. Do you remember the idols were less than nothing, but the servant is the object of God's delight. Their works were worthless, but he is a bringer of justice. You see justice there, it's in that 
those first four verses uh, three times. It's a key idea. Do you remember how the passage began with a court scene? The ignorant idols are on trial before the omniscient Lord of history. Well, the servant's justice is the result of that trial. It is the announcement that there is only one true God. Uh, Verse 4, he will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching, the islands will put their hope. As is often the case in a poem, the second line of the poem um, gives us more information on the first. It's like that in verse 4. So the earth is the islands, the furthest corners of the globe. His justice is his teaching, the message of truth he reveals. You see, if you and I want to know the truth about God, we need to listen to the words of his servant. And when you look at him, isn't he just the sort of person you would want to listen to? He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. See, this is no conqueror like Cyrus who, who treads on people like a potter treading the clay. No, this person demonstrates extreme tenderness towards all people. He comes quietly and with modesty. He doesn't seek the limelight or shout others down. To him, nothing is useless. Nothing is too far gone, too far um, bruised. Judah must have felt like that in exile, broken off and crushed, spluttering and fizzling out. Because this servant came to save broken lives. He will suffer the same pressures as other people, but he won't give up. In faithfulness, bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged. Well, perhaps there was someone who partially fulfilled this picture for Isaiah's first hearers. But there's no doubt that ultimately Jesus is this servant of the Lord. On one occasion, uh, after Jesus had healed huge numbers of people, he was being followed by a great big crowd. And Jesus told that crowd not to follow, not to tell others about him. Matthew writes, this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Then he quotes these verses from Isaiah 42. You see, Jesus didn't come to be a a conquering, um, a conqueror to destroy. He came to be a servant to save, a messenger who would reveal the truth about God in accordance with God's perfect plan. Verse 6, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hands. Verses 1 to 4, God speaks about the servant. Verses 5 to 7, God speaks to him, assuring him of his mission. He will be a covenant for the people. The servant is going to have a relationship with God. He will be a light for the Gentiles. He will take away our spiritual blindness. He will free captives from prison. Yes, God will save his people from exile in Babylon, but the servant will release sinners from the prison of sin. Are you and I spending our time looking at Jesus? We face a very uncertain future. We live in the shadow of we can trust God in the present is the saviour of the world. Well, our world looks for salvation in many things, doesn't it? And those things are filling our news bulletins and our conversations. Vaccine roll every 
the list goes on and on. And it is not wrong to necessarily look to those things, but it is foolish to put all our hopes in them because none of them compare with the Lord's chosen one, a servant who's the saviour of the world. Well, what will happen if we do that? How will looking at Jesus affect our lives in the present? Thirdly and finally, look at the Lord. He's worthy of all your praise. I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place and new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. So God takes us back to that court case against the idols that began the passage. They couldn't direct the past. They couldn't predict the future. Only the Lord can do that. And so his people need to look to him and praise him. It is not usually a good thing, is it, when a sibling refuses to share something with a brother or sister. But it is not like that with God and his glory. You see in verse 8, I will not yield my glory to another. He refuses to share his glory. And that is a very, very good thing. Because God's glory is the essence of who he is. It is his character and his reputation. As he reminds us in verse 5, he gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on the earth. He's the creator of the heavens. Life exists only because God deliberately wills life into existence. So it would be wrong for God to share his glory with anyone or anything else. To do so would suggest that he wasn't the universal life giver. It would imply that man-made gods had something to say when in reality they don't. They're ignorant and powerless. It's a good thing that God is jealous for his own glory. Paul shared that jealousy for God's glory in that passage I mentioned earlier. He was in Athens, remember he was distressed to see a city full of idols and so he proclaimed the glory of the one true God and he wanted people to praise anything. He wanted people to praise the Lord instead of anything and everything else which is just what Isaiah tells the people to do. The conqueror provokes terror and a turning to idols, but the servant provokes joy and a global turning to the Lord. You see that in verses 10 to 12? Sing to the Lord a new song. Raise your voice, rejoice, sing for joy, give glory to the Lord, proclaim his praise. Even in those far-flung reaches of the world, the sea and the islands, even in regions close by to God's people and historically hostile to them, places like Kedah and Selah, all sorts of people from all sorts of places will give thanks to God for the saving work of his servant. Yes, the servant's work is tender and gentle and patient and kind, but don't think for a moment that it won't succeed. How can it not succeed when it has the power of Almighty God behind it? Verse 13, he marches out like a champion. He will triumph over his enemies. Nothing and no one can stand in God's way to, to save the world. For a long time, God has been quiet and held himself back. He cries, he gasps and pants. He's like a mother waiting for the birth of, of her child. God has been eagerly waiting to enact his salvation plan. And with the coming of Christ, 
the waiting was finally over. God will bring judgment against Babylon, verse 15, but he will never forget to save his people. I will lead the blind by ways they have not known. Along unfamiliar paths, I will turn the darkness into light before them and make the rough places smooth. These are the things I will do. I will not forsake them. In Christ, God was both a destroyer and a servant. He destroyed death and him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. He faced the judgment we deserve and secured eternal life for all who believe. He did these things for the sake of his own glory, to free us to worship him. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise from the ends of the earth. It's verses like these that remind me just how deeply unsatisfactory our present situation is. Of course, these verses are not primarily about what we do when we gather together as a church, but they are still they are part of that bigger picture of God commanding his people to sing. He sent his servant to save the world so his people can sing to him. Now, our government is currently asking us not to sing, but as I said back in September, I simply because we should. There is something deeply right about singing to God. Whether we are musical or not, singing allows us to express our love from our heart and our devotion to him. He saved us so we can sing. I'm very, very thankful for the musicians at the moment as they're putting in a lot of work to lead us because whether we sing verbally or not ourselves, we can still make music in our hearts to worship God. But I wonder if we could think of other opportunities to sing. Uh, today's not the day to do it with the snow falling, but I would love soon to be singing again outside. Um, could we perhaps sing at home or deliberately listen to Christian music by ourselves or with our families? There are many ways to praise the Lord, but let us not forget that singing is an essential way to worship him. It's not an, an optional extra that just fills in time around the sermon. It is of the essence of Christian worship. So let us look forward to the day when we can do it again, indoors, with no masks, with great joy. Look to the Lord. He is worthy of all your praise. How can we live in the present when we don't fully understand the past and can't know the future for certain? Well, Isaiah says we have a choice. Look either to the idols of the world or look to the Lord and his servants. The idols are ignorant. They've got nothing to say. If we put our hope in those man-made gods, we will face a dreadful future. Verse 17, those who trust in idols, who say to images, you are our gods, will be turned back in utter shame. But if we trust in Christ, the servant of the Lord, his chosen one in whom he delights, we can know the truth about God. We do not need to search for truth because Jesus came to reveal it for us. He opened the eyes of the physically blind. Today he opens spiritually darkened eyes. He is the saviour of the world. Will we look to him? And will we give his father, the Lord God Almighty, the creator of the ends of the earth, our praise and worship too?
Should we have a moment of quiet, perhaps just to pray by ourselves, and uh, after a moment or two, Chris Smith is going to come and lead us in our prayers. Today we are praying for our world, our country and each other. Let us pray. Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are in control of all things, past, present and future. We pray for the newly inaugurated President Biden. Please give him great wisdom as he seeks to tackle the divisions which are so evident in the United States. May these efforts, not be, grand, but may these efforts be grounded not in narrow party political or cultural views, but in the truth that every man, woman and child has been created in your image and is of infinite value and worth. We ask for imaginative and generous solutions based on self-giving, service, rather than angry assertions of conflicting rights. We ask for all party leaders in America will recognize their accountability before you and humbly seek your guidance and support. Please make Christians there lead by example day to day, being distinctive salt and light, rather than allowing themselves to be co-opted by the cultural and political forces around them. We also pray for those many millions of Christians around the world who continue to suffer for their faith in you. In particular, we remember Sam and Mariam in Iran who have been convicted and sentenced for following you. We ask that they will be freed and reunited with their adopted daughter, Lydia, who's been taken away from them. Thank you for those within Iran who have spoken up for them and please act in power so that this family will be reunited soon. I urge then petitions, prayers and intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Heavenly Father, thank you for the blessing of living when and where we do, for the rule of law which protects the weak and holds the powerful to account, for peace and for many of us prosperity how the gospel has, however imperfectly, so positively shaped our country's history and culture, and for the freedom we have to follow you. Please forgive us when we forget these blessings or take them for granted, for when we become cynical about political and other leaders, rather than praying for them. Help us also to take our share of responsibility for tackling the many problems that our country faces including the unfairness and injustice which affects so many. Please help our, country leaders, our country's leaders as they continue to take difficult decisions 
necessary in tackling the pandemic. May you give those at the front line in hospitals, in care homes, or looking after the vulnerable within home settings the strength to carry on. We also pray for the many thousands of people who have lost loved ones over the past year and those who will do so over coming days. Please draw close to them and also enable them to turn to you as the only true source of comfort and confidence in the face of death. Please be merciful and bring the pandemic to a rapid end. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. Heavenly Father, thank you for the great privilege, privilege of knowing you, the creator and sustainer of all things, as our loving Father. Please may this living truth empower, empower us and transform the struggles of our everyday life. Please be particularly close to those going through sickness, with difficult relationships or loneliness, uncertainty, financial worries, problems at work, or simply struggling with the grind of daily routine over weeks, months, and years. Please keep our eyes fixed on the unsurpassed worth of knowing you and help us sensitively and appropriately to, to continue to encourage each other in so doing. Please may this treasure shine through to those around us in our attitudes, deeds, and words. And please provide us with opportunities to joyfully share this treasure, whether in the local community, among family and friends, or among work colleagues. We ask all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Lord and uh, our final song is full of words that encourage us to behold the Lord. Come and behold him, the one and the only, cry out, sing holy, forever a holy God. Come and worship the holy God. As um, we listen uh, along, why don't you see if you can spot all those different reasons why it is worth looking at the Lord.
from my faith. Who else would offer his only son? Who else invites me to call him Father? Only a six and above at school um, there is a group for you um, online at uh, five o'clock just uh, have a look on the church website for the details about that and uh, you'll be spending time with rich and others looking at that passage that we've looked at this morning uh, otherwise uh, look forward to seeing you home groups um, or on thursday night if you're on that course um, or the word one-to-one course this evening at eight o'clock or i'm um, back here again next sunday let's um, finish with a prayer for god's grace Uh, again on the service sheets. Almighty and everlasting God, we thank you that you have brought us safely to the beginning of this new day. By your mighty power, keep us from falling into sin or running into any kind of danger. Order all our doings and guide us to do always what is righteous in your sight. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.